Welcome to church. Just looking back and reading through some stories from uh, centuries ago, and it's, um, it's such a blessing to see that the church is at its best when we're not limited by buildings. Where we become the church, we don't just go to church. And I reckon this season has been such a gift for the church worldwide to consider her influence way beyond the current structures, the buildings that we exist in. One of the um, exciting opportunities that we have this morning and, the, uh, and tonight is to welcome Alan Platt, the founder and leader of the Doxedeo family of churches. Doxedeo serves more than 30,000 people in South Africa, London, in New Zealand, right across the world. Alan is also the leader of the City Changes Movement and the lead architect of Church United, a ministry that brings church leaders together to benefit and to bless the city of South Florida. Enjoy this moment with us as uh, we invite Alan to speak to us on Resurrection Sunday. Well, greetings to you. It's a joy and a delight to have the privilege of sharing a word with you under the title New Life in Christ. I uh, look at Peter's life where he was this anxious disciple who was uh, uh, not wanting to associate himself with Jesus in fear and anxiety about what that could mean to his own life. And then I see him on the day of Pentecost. Something happens to this man. There's this transformation where he gets up and boldly makes this statement documented in Acts chapter 2 verse 32 where he says, This Jesus God has raised up of which we all are witnesses. <laughs> First of all, something happens to Peter because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in his life. And secondly, he starts speaking on behalf of everybody, saying they are all witnesses to the fact that Jesus has been raised. Uh, what would make Peter so sure? Well, he knew that this was the promise that Jesus gave when he said, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to ask the Father to send to you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on uh, Pentecost Day, and the effect was so evident in people's lives, uh, Peter knew that these were all now witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. There was a boldness that came into their lives. Uh, I have a friend that works with lions in South Africa, and uh, he came to visit us when we were still living in Pretoria, and uh, he stayed very close to the Pretoria Zoo. And so early that morning, I went to pick him up. And I know the lions in the zoo roar every morning. So excitedly, as he got into the car, I asked him and I said, did you hear the lions this morning? And he said, yeah, yeah, I heard the lions. But I could see he's not excited. And I said, hey, so, so what's up? I thought you liked lions. Uh, you heard them roar, but you don't seem excited. He said, Alan, you know what? When I heard them roar this morning, I could hear it was the roar of a captive lion. And he made the statement. He said, you know, the roar of a captive lion is different to the roar of a lion 
that is free. And so today I want to talk to you about getting this understanding that you have been called to the spacious environment, this freedom in Christ, so that the roar that you release to this world would be clearly heard as someone not confining yourself to some religious framework of what you think Christianity is, but the revelation of what it means to be included in Christ and to experience this new life in Christ. You have to understand that you have been included in the greatest moment in history. When history recorded the death of one man, history documented the repositioning of humanity. And we need to discover ourselves in the glorious victory that was won at the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus said it is finished, he meant that we are all included in this completed work where he would reposition our lives. I often uh, stand in amazement when I look at fans uh, reacting to their team's victory. Uh, and most, most fans, if you ask them who won, they would say, we won. What that means is they see themselves included in that recorded victory. You can say to them, man, you, you did nothing. I mean, how can you say you won? For them, their team's victory is their victory. Their team's triumph that has been documented now has a bearing on their lives, how they think, how they talk, how they function, how they engage. Everything changes because their team has won. I'm here to announce to you today that Jesus Christ has won and his victory is our victory and his triumph is our triumph. And because he won, we win. Amen. <laughs> well, it's critical for us to understand what this victory in Christ entails. Because by understanding it, we understand our new life in Christ. Um, we have to start by our understanding of the fact that we were associated in his death. The Bible is very clear that when Jesus died, we died. This is actually the message that Paul communicates when he writes to the Corinthian church. And he documents this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, where he says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced, this is our conclusion, that when one died for all, therefore all have died. You see, we, we have to understand that we were included in that moment. When you look at the cross, it's not a sentimental historical reference where we see Jesus alone on the cross. You have to see yourself on the cross with Christ. Otherwise, the cross has no bearing on your life. You died with him. 
so that something can happen in your life. You see, you were included in the greatest disappointment of humanity. When Adam died, because of his sin, the Bible says we were all included in that reference. You see, you became a sinner, not because you sinned, but because you were in Adam. But then Christ, the last Adam, who had the final word, came and lay his life down so that we could be declared righteous. You see, you are not righteous because of your righteous deeds. You are righteous because you have been included in Christ. It's this concept of inclusion. It's this concept of association that we need to understand because too much of Christianity is still a communication of your contribution so that this and that can happen in your life. We have to understand that we were implicated in Adam's sin and, and in his fall. Even so, we were now equally and even more implicated in the victory and the triumph of Christ. We we died with him. We died to our old, inferior reference in Adam. But the Bible says we were raised with him into newness of life. Listen to what it says in Romans 6 verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That's what our baptism speaks of. Us dying with Christ, laying down our own life in Adam. And then he says that just as Christ, just as, what a powerful statement. Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. <laughs> we have been raised with Christ. You know, it's interesting in the Old Testament, there is one reference to the resurrection. And that reference is in Hosea. And we are included in that reference. It says, he will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. We have been included in this moment of God's glory. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism that as Christ was raised, we will Walk in newness of life. What an incredible reference to our lives. The true wonder of the resurrection was not just that Jesus was raised from the dead. But the wonder is the innocence that humanity now possessed as the basis for God to raise Jesus. From the dead. 
I, I want to take you to a scripture, very important scripture. Romans 4 verse 25. In Romans 4 25, there are two concepts and, and they have exactly the same structure, grammatical structure. It says, firstly, who, referring to Jesus, was delivered because of our offenses. All right. So Jesus was crucified because of our offenses. And then it says, and he was raised because of our justification. Listen to this. Because our offenses were there, Jesus had to be crucified. But then Jesus paid the price and God looked at the price that was paid and he declared humanity righteous, justified, forgiven of their sins. And on the basis of that justification, on the basis that God had announced humanity set free from this bondage of sin, Jesus could be raised because of dia is the word our sins. He had to die because of dia. Our righteousness. He was raised. You see, if we were still guilty after Jesus had died, his resurrection would neither be possible or relevant because we would be raised in our sin but now we are raised into righteousness what a powerful statement you see paul says if jesus was not raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins he recognized that the resurrection speaks to us about our justification, our being declared righteous. Uh, in the resurrection, you are declared right, righteous with God. Righteousness is God's love gift to humanity. And uh, it's not something you achieve. It's something you receive. Um, I'm not still busy negotiating my salvation with God. You are not still trying to convince God to save you, trying to convince God to somehow forgive your sins. The fact is God took the initiative. The Bible says when you were far from God in Romans 5. And then he says when you were sinners, he, he reconciled you to God. And then he goes to a third concept. He says, when you were enemies of God, God in Christ reconciled you with himself. It's not you that took the initiative. It's you that responds to God's initiative. It's not something you work for. It's not something you try to achieve. I want to take you to a story today. It's a story in the Old Testament um, about a, a man called Jacob. And uh, uh, Jacob uh, fled his home because he had just stolen the birthright 
from his first born brother Esau and uh, he fled away to his uncle's uh, uncle Laban's uh, area farm whatever wherever they were staying and Laban had two daughters the one was uh, Leah she was beautiful no she was not <laughs> Leah was not so beautiful and Rachel Rachel was beautiful and so she was the younger one now it says here Laban had two daughters this is in Genesis 29 and the name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel and Leah it says here in this translation had weak eyes um she was probably not a pretty girl at all. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. And so the story goes that Jacob uh, falls in love with Rachel and he goes to the uncle and says, I want to marry your daughter. And then he gives them this responsibility to work for seven years so that he can qualify to get Rachel as his wife. Well, uh, if you go read that story, it says, and they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. And then he gets married. And this marriage ceremony takes place. And you don't, please don't ask me how this worked because um, the marriage ceremony is there. And the next day, when Jacob uh, wakes up, he realizes he's not married to Rachel. He's married to Leah. He doesn't like Leah. He likes Rachel. And now there's a problem. And he goes to his uncle and he says, you deceived me. And the uncle says to him, but you, of course, know how it works here in our culture. My oldest daughter has to get married first. And so they have this whole argument and then come to an agreement where where Laban says to him, well, if you are prepared to work for me for another seven years, I'll give you Rachel as your wife. But now you have two wives. And so his Facebook status changed to it is complicated. <laughs> Suddenly this man has two wives, the one he loves, the other one he endures. But here's what happens. Rachel cannot have children. And in that time, it was very important for a wife to bear children, in particular sons, to her husband. But Leah, she is fruitful. And so we see how Leah conceives and gives birth to a child, a son, and then another son. And then there is a third son. And when she gives him a third son, this is what she says in Genesis 29, 34. Now at last, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Listen to the principle. Because I have worked for it, because I qualify, because now he should accept me. Now he should see that I am acceptable because I've I've given what he needs. And then it says, and she named him Levi. Well, 
the next verse says, and she conceived again. And she just became aware that she was on the receiving end of grace and God's goodness is over her life. And, and she gave birth to the son. And then she says, and this time I will praise the Lord. This is, I will just recognize that I am being blessed. Therefore, she called her son Judah. Now, these two sons, Levi and Judah, they become part of 12 kids that Jacob has that become the 12 tribes of Israel. And we all know the story how um, Levi becomes the leader of what would become the Old Testament priesthood and uh, how Judah becomes the tribe that ultimately would give birth to Jesus. This is very, very significant because in their names, there was embedded this reference, Levi, performance, work, having to qualify, Judah, meaning praise, recognizing grace and goodness and God's favor. You can see where this is going. Levi, a posture of performance to achieve. Judah, a posture of contentment to receive. I think we should change from, from wearing Levi jeans. We should start a new brand, call it Judah jeans. Now, you can wear your Levi jeans. But here's what's interesting. The Hebrew writer captures this concept. And then he says the following. He says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, this tribe of Levi, for on the basis of it, of this tribe, the law was given to the people. Why was there a need for another priest to come, not in the order of Aaron, who was the high priest of the Levitical order? He says, for when there is a change of priesthood, there is a change of law. For it is clear that our Lord, Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about the priests. He says, and this one has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. And then verse 19 of Hebrews 7 says, the former regulation, the way of engaging is set aside because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect, but it is a better hope that is introduced by which we draw near to God. What is this better hope? Jesus Christ who comes from the tribe of Judah, the praise component of our engagement to recognize that we have been raised into newness of life and we have a better hope through which we engage God. We recognize that we, because we are in Christ, we are richly blessed, we are highly favored and we are deeply loved. Folks, we died with Christ. We were raised with Christ into newness of life. We, we now recognize 
We are called righteous because we are in Christ. But you see, we did not just die with Christ and we're raised with Christ. The Bible says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Listen to what Ephesians 2 Verse four to six says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We share in his death, we share in his resurrection, but we also share in his triumph and ascension. And we sit with Christ in heavenly places. What does it mean to sit with Christ in heavenly places? It means you have a place of authority, a place of influence. You have a place of proximity. God is with you. It's an amazing sense of grace on our lives. When we recognize who we are in Christ and we now live in this newness of life. You know, I want to end with a story about a lion. A few years ago, a bunch of leaders, church leaders from Pretoria went on a retreat and we went to one of the game parks. Um, and early morning, we all got onto the safari vehicle and we drove out uh, hoping to see animals. It was not long, we found a whole pride of lions. And uh, th- these lions are lazy, so we stopped about 20 meters from them and we were just watching them. And then one of the dominant male lions decided he's going to get up and he's going to come and inspect this vehicle. And as he came closer, the ranger that was with us said, you know, please just uh, don't move around too fast. Don't make noises. uh, Don't stand up because apparently the lion thinks this is one big animal that has just arrived. He doesn't realize there's a lot of individuals sitting on this vehicle. Now, I was sitting right at the end and... I mean, I don't know who designs these vehicles, but this, this vehicle did not have a door. And so it's open. And I'm just praying, Lord, I trust this ranger knows what he's talking about. So as this lion is coming closer, I am just so aware of my mortality. <laughs> the guy behind me is taking photos and his camera is making this click, click, click sound. And the lion is now intrigued with the clicking sound and it's coming straight for me. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Lord, if I don't die today, I'm going to kill somebody today. But as this lion comes about two meters from me, it looks up. And I look into the eyes of this lion. I don't know if you've had the privilege of being two meters away from a lion with nothing between you and looking into its eyes. (laughs) Suddenly, you recognize authority. You you recognize that, you know, you are vulnerable. Why? Because this is a lion. And a lion is unintimidated. 
in its natural habitat. But it's amazing, if you take that lion to a circus, that lion comes into the arena and suddenly it feels as if something has broken in that animal because now it becomes anxious. It's running around and, and there's a man with a whip and as the whip is cracking, the lion starts to do tricks to the applause of the people because people are saying, just look how we've been able to adjust the behavior of the lion. But we know this lion has not internalized that behavior because I guarantee you when that lion goes back to its cage, it does not sit in the cage and practice the tricks. Well, unfortunately, that's basically what we've done to so many expressions of Christianity. We've turned it into a circus where we think we have to try and and manage people's behavior and we try and get them through a whip, you know, whipping up three or four scriptures, getting them to, to somehow adjust their, their behavior to the Christian culture. I'm here to tell you today, we are not trying to get people to adjust their behavior to a Christian culture. We are introducing them to their Christian nature of who they are. If some person be in Christ, the Bible says, you are a new creation and you are in Christ. You see, we need to take people into their natural habitat. In him do we live and move and have our being. Discover who you are. Discover in whom you are. And you will discover the authority of newness in life in Christ Jesus. God bless you as you consider these thoughts. You've died with him. You were raised with him. You are seated with him. You are in Christ living a new life in Christ. God bless you.